what we tried to convey in the message last week was was the value of, of a soul, the mission of the church. Uh, each one of these chairs, uh, it's, it's just not so we can say our, our building seats a certain number of people, but each one of these seats actually represent a soul. They represent somebody that does not know Jesus. Now, statistics tell us that if, if every church in, in our city was completely full, now I'm talking about de, across denominational lines, across independent lines, if every building or meeting place on this Sunday called a church or considered a church meeting place were to be filled, 75% of our community would still be home. Now I want that to marinate for just a moment. 75% of our community would still be home. So, so revival is not just getting people to change membership from one church to another. The, the mission of the church is to reach the lost, to reach souls. Every soul in the eyes of God is precious. Every soul, every life, every life. Our, our, our society is becoming so polarized and, and there's a lot of division in our society and, and it's, if, if we're not careful, it bleeds into the church. It becomes part of, of the, the Christian culture. And I think it's the worst kind of, of division that there is, is, is when people can't worship together because I'm this or I'm that. Because a lot of times, most people never go beyond the label they get saved in, in their relationship with Christ. I, I got saved as a Pentecostal, so I'll die as a Pentecostal. It doesn't mean that I've never developed a relationship with Christ. Or it could be preventing me from developing a relationship with Christ. I, I, I got saved a Baptist, so I came to know Christ as a Baptist, and so I, I'm going to die a Baptist. And it, so it becomes the environment of, of their relationship with Christ. They never go on to maturity. See, I think the biggest issue that we're dealing with in the Christian community today is we're dealing with immature people. And, and I think the pulpit's partly to do with this because perhaps we're not leading people into maturity. Perhaps we're not taking them into the depths and the riches of God's grace. And, and yet there has to be, ladies and gentlemen, a sense of personal responsibility. See, a lot of people depend on the church, the pastor. I mean, it's, it's just like if the pastor's not there, well then I get a day off. I'll just take a day off. Pastor's not there, so, you know, it, it probably won't be as good as, as it could be, and so uh, I'll just stay home. That is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we're not serving a man. We're not serving a pastor. We're not serving a denomination. We're not serving a church building. We're striving to build relationship with God. We're striving to build a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so even if my favorite singer isn't singing or my favorite preacher isn't preaching, I'm still going to go because it, it could be that somebody that isn't my favorite might speak into my life. Uh-oh. Benny's on a roll already. And yet, 
we've got this problem in our society of, of divisions and, and we're separating people by, by rich or poor or, or by color or by language. And, and, and so in our society, there, there's a thing going around called Black Lives Matter. Now, I'm not here to get political and I'm not on a soapbox today. I believe Black Lives Matter. I do. I grew up in the North. I don't understand a lot of this social, uh, Southern segregation and, and stuff. I, can't, I just don't understand it. I didn't grow up this way. I grew up in a totally different environment. We were all just people. And we didn't judge a person by the, black, uh, by the color of their skin, whether they're black or white or yellow or from Pakistan or India or, or Africa or wherever. We, we just, we seen people. And can I tell you today, God sees people. So black lives matter to him. But white lives matter to him. Yellow lives matter to him. All lives matter to him. I've never seen a society that is becoming so judgmental. And it's creeping into the church and that, that we're beginning to judge people well. I think, and, and, and I guess it's not a new problem because James addressed it in the book of James when he said if a man comes in and he's got a fine robe on and he's got a big ring on his finger, you're willing to give him the upper chair because you think he can do something for you. Because, see, that's how we profile people. We profile people by what you can do for me. At, no, yeah, no, no. See, who really cares about a penny? See, if you really care about me as an individual, you don't care if I've got money or don't have money. You don't care if I've got something that I can help you with or can't help you with. If you really care about me, you care about me because I'm a person. I'm a human being. I have needs just like you have needs. And so... This has been a lot of my compassion down through the years. I mean, I, I grew up as a child. I was a very compassionate uh, person, and, and, and I loved helping people. And, 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 and even now, today, it's woven into the fabric of who I am. I, I love uh, helping people. I love reaching out to people. I love rescuing people. I, it's just there's, there's just a special compassion God has gifted me with, and so people matter to me. And, and so I've never been able to articulate it into words until just a few days ago I heard a saying that resonated with me, and, and I've adopted it. And some of you have seen, if you're connected via Twitter or, or Facebook, you've seen me post it. And it just says, wanting more for people than from people. Wanting more for people than from people. See, I think that totally em total embodies the church. Because when I look at God, God has always been interested in wanting more for people than from people. See, God, God didn't, didn't have Calvary and Calvary didn't happen so he could stand back and say, okay, you're obligated to me. See, some people will help you, but they want to help you so that when they need help, bada bada bing. They, they want to obligate you. I talked about it on Wednesday night that some people, you know, when, when they call you, when they come to you, and you, you, all, you just get a real quick sense that they're not there for you, they're there for themselves and what you can do for them. What a sick, sad 
depraved relationship and I think that is manipulation at its worst form is when all you want to do is get close to me because I, you need something from me or something I can do for you. And so in this, in this general idea of who cares about a penny, and, and they, they resonated it so well when they talked about the penny and, and how that the penny's been used for this. And most of us, even in our society today, we don't care about pennies. We'll walk right over them. We won't even think about them. Some of us that, you know, realize a, 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 a couple pennies a years ago would buy you about five pieces of bazooka bubble gum. You know, we still pick them up. But it takes a whole lot more of them now. And, and, and so, you know, a dollar, most people bend over and pick up a dollar or a 50 cent piece, but, but, you know, quarters pushing it. But a penny? And, and how, I think that really depicts humanity because we've, we've come to a society that no longer values human life. I mean, that's evident with, with the terrorist attack that's, the attacks that are going on in our world today. And, and the situation in Orlando that just happened a few uh, days ago, seven days to be exact, a terrorist uh, attack in a gay nightclub. And, and we can get all sanctimonious and say, well, God's judgment. No, it wasn't God's judgment. Do you not think that God knew before he ever made Adam that there would be people that fell into sexual deviancy. So before you go passing judgment and turning your nose up, he still created man even though he knew how bad man would become. Because no matter how bad man becomes, his grace just becomes that much greater. Oh, I feel a little preach up in the house this morning. See, the darker the night only polarizes how great the light is. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Where sin abounded, grace did much more. Ah, help me, Holy Ghost. Gay lives matter. We don't have a problem with an adulterer coming to our church. See, I think the church is afraid to get real. And we can walk over people because they don't meet our expectation. But the same grace that can pull a man or a woman out of adultery is the same grace that can pull somebody out of a deviant lifestyle. I'm going to preach it until I can't preach it no more. His grace reaches to the lowest valley and it reaches to the highest mountain. See, I think one of the problems, ladies and gentlemen, is we don't think we were all that bad when he found us. Yeah, I had a few problems, but I wasn't as bad as them. Really? If you was a liar, you were still destined for eternal damnation. But we categorize sin and we classify sin and we, but I'm here to tell you all lives matter. All lives matter, rich, poor, black, white, 
short, tall, fat, skinny, donut-eating people. All lives matter. And we've got to come to an understanding of that. And I think that's what God is trying to show us. And so you're going to hear a lot of this as we go forward, that we want more for people than we want from them. Well, if we can get them dressed up and we can get them paying their tithes, then woo! Really? And that's where most people stop. As pastor of this church, I'm not interested in you just coming through the gate and hanging around salvation. I want you to go on to maturity. I want you to go on to perfection. I want you to go on to become what God has for you. I want to see what you can become spiritually, and I want to see what you can become naturally. I believe there's great things spiritually for you to be had. I said, I believe there's great things for you spiritually to be had. I believe there's a work for God that only you can do. I might be able to do a little bit of what you can't do, but I can't do what you're called to do. God called you to work with people that I'm not good at working with. He called me to work with people that I'm good at working with, and you're not. And when we blur the line, we confuse the whole matter. But eye hath not seen, and ear hath not heard, and neither hath it entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that Do you love Him? I got a question. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? If you love Him, He has great things prepared for you. You need to embrace it. You need to wrap your mind around it. He did not save you for stagnation. He did not save you so you would just become a stagnant pool. He saved you so you would be springs of living water. He saved you. Oh, good God Almighty. So you would affect your environment. And number two, He saved you so you could become the best that you could be. He saved you to elevate you. He saved you to, to lift you out of the mundane. How many believe God's awesome? You believe God's awesome? Well, I can't wrap my mind around an awesome God creating a mediocre person. Sorry, I just can't do it. I, I, can't, I can't imagine an awesome God who is so creative, who is so abundant in wisdom to say, well, I kind of goofed on that one. They're, they're just going to be mediocre. They're just going to kind of be average. No, he saved us to raise us up. He saved us to bless us so that we can be blessed to the spiritual kingdom. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, now there are two things that I, I began with last week that I want to cover very quickly because I'm just about out of time. But there was two, two words that, that I gave you last week, and if you weren't here, I'm, I'm going to redo this, or do it again this week because I want you to get them. The first word is passion. And, and passion means strong and barely controllable emotion. Passion. How many have passion? How many get passion? Some of you know the, the gigs, so you're going to like, I'm going to wait until the good part. <laughs> passion is that which gets you into something. Passion is the igniter. Passion is what gets you started. People fall in love, or 
quote-unquote love because of passion. But some people fall out of love just as quick as they fell into love. I think it's more lust. I mean, I thought I knew my, my wife, but it was a whole lot of lust. Like, Pastor, you going to confess that? Yeah. Because that's, that's us. That's nature. James said that we're tempted and drawn away by our own, oh, y'all going to go righteous on me. Oh, Jesus, I'm going to pray for you this afternoon. We are tempted and drawn away by our own lust. Lust is just another word for desire. I had a desire for this young lady. But the second word is zeal. And zeal means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. I had passion for her when I met her. 34 years later, I'm committed. See, passion gets you into the relationship. Zeal keeps you committed to the relationship. See, it, it, that's one of the reasons I, I'm so cautious about Pentecostalism. I love Pentecostalism. I grew up in Pentecostalism. I love the worship of Pentecostalism. I love the expression of Pentecostalism. But if we're not careful, we become intoxicated on Pentecostalism. We become intoxicated on the emotionalism of it. And so we skip in here on Sunday morning, get our little Jesus fix, uh, pump ourselves up, and go out the door and live another life separate from the life that we came here for. See, most of us, if we're not careful, we have two lives. We have our Jesus life, and then we have our real life. And we don't want too much of Jesus in our real life unless we're in crises. And if we get crises in our real life, and then we're like, oh, pastor, you got to help me pray. I'm in a mess. Have the church put me on the board. Let them, let them pray for me. But we only want Jesus to step into our real life. But see, the real life begins with Jesus as the center. Oh God, I, help, I hope I can help somebody here today. The, the biggest base of your life should be God. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So God, and then our life should live inside the perimeter of our God life. Hmm. But we want our Sunday life and then we want our Monday life. And that's the reason why the world calls a lot of people hypocrites. Because we act one way on Sunday and we act another way on Monday. He did not save you on Sunday to act another way on Monday. He saved you on Sunday so you would act like him on Monday. Paul said, I live, nevertheless not I, but Christ is living inside of me. See, that's where he's trying to bring us, ladies and gentlemen. He's trying to bring us from salvation to maturity, where people look at us. See, Emily's got a bracelet that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? But I think what we need to do is get so close to Jesus that the world would say, what are you going to do? 
<laughs> Are y'all still with me? Because they know we go to church on Sunday, but when our, when our life on Monday does not align with our life on Sunday, why would they want what we have on Sunday? Am I helping anybody today? And so what we're supposed to do is put Jesus as the life we live and then everything else revolves around him. Remember the song we love to sing around here? Jesus, you're the center of my joy. Is he really the center of your joy or is he just the center of your Sunday? Okay, I got to go on. Passion gets you in. Zeal keeps you committed to it. Passion will get you into a relationship with Christ. Zeal will keep you committed to it. And there were three things I gave you, and I want to just hit these very closely, and then we're going to Romans chapter 12 to conclude. There's three things. He said, first of all, pursue God's presence. Pursue God's presence. Passion will get you started looking for God's presence, but zeal will keep you committed to searching for God's presence. David said, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of his house. And somebody help me, I just had a mental moment. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what the psalmist said. David was so adamant about God's presence, he watched Saul live a life of touch and go with God's presence. And David said, that's not the kind of life I want. So David said, cast me not away from your presence and take not your holy presence from me. Don't take it away from me. I can live without the kingdom. I can live without the riches. I can live without the servants, but I can't live without you. I can't live without you. Is God just something you need on a temporary basis or is God really what you live for? And what I'm trying to do as a pastor is bring you to a place where God is what you live for. It's not a substitute for what you can't do. So passion, pursuit of God's presence. Zeal keeps you in the presence of God. Number two, passion for God's house. Just a love for his house. I love to congregate. I love Sunday mornings because in my estimation of Sunday mornings, this is like many family reunions. I'm serious. This is like many family reunions. Because someday I expect to, to, to spend eternity with you. Now I just want you over occasionally. But one of these days, I expect to spend eternity with you. And so Sunday mornings are getting us warmed up to living forever in God's presence. And so there should be a pursuit of God's presence. David said, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house. 
Hebrews 10.25 would say, Forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is, but much more as you see the day approaching. I encourage you as pastor to make the house of God a priority in your life. How can you expect others to come when you invite them and they don't see you going? Remember, it's all about a penny. How, okay, let me, let, me get, let me get parental here for just a moment. How can you expect your kids to ever develop a pattern of going to church if they see you going here and skip a week and going there and skip a week and going there? I'm not talking about emergencies. I'm not talking about job schedule. I'm talking about just because you choose not to go. I grew up in a house, and I'm very thankful for it. It was never an option. My parents did never, I, I, I longed for it. I'm going to confess. This is just confession time. I longed for the day they walked in and said, Hey, are you going to church today? They never ask. If they would have asked, I'm like, blanket over the head, good night, see you when you get home. No. They said, Be ready by the door at a certain time, don't make us wait. I mean, it wasn't an option. I mean, hey, I'd rather be there than suffer, well, help us Jesus. But a passion for God's house. And, and number three is a pursuit of souls. You, you and I cannot totally have the heart of God without feeling compassion for the lost. You and I cannot truly have the heart of God without having a compassion for the lost. Our hallmark verse is found in John chapter 3 and verse 16, and it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Even when Adam chose Eve over the ability to walk with God in the cool of the day, God did not abandon Eve, Adam and Eve. We often talk about David being a man after God's own heart or pursuing God's heart, but I think what we fail to realize is the pursuit of God that God had for man's heart. Because the only thing that you can give to God is the only thing that he can't take from you forcibly, and that's your heart. That's the only thing you can really give God. He cannot forcibly take your heart, but he wants your heart. And when he gets your heart, souls are going to matter. We want more for people than we want from people. And so very quickly, I want to take you to the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, and, and, and I'm I'm, I'm closing um, just real quickly. I'm going to close here. And, and for sake of time, I'm just going to highlight some of it and go through it. But I, I challenge you, I challenge you to read this chapter this week. Read this chapter. Read it every day. Take time to read this chapter every single day of your life. 
I'm going to read to you from the message version because I, I love the way that it brings it into proper understanding. And the King James says, Brother, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The message version says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. In other words, I'm not looking for what you think are your best features. I'm not asking you to embellish your life and show me the embellishment. I'm, I'm asking you to take the entirety of your life, the good moments, the bad moments when you want to kick the dog or you want to say something bad to the neighbor or you want to give somebody a piece of your mind please keep it the piece of your mind that's what I'm talking about you get that later but all of your life see I think I think for, for a lot of us even like the church and, and, and the God life, the, the God life and, and the real life, I think we kind of live a dual nature. I, I think we have a, a good side that we want to present when it's necessary, and then there's some people that we're comfortable being around that we can present our bad side. And so we kind of live this double life. But James said that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You can't live two lives just as you can't serve two masters because you're going to have allegiance to one and love one. You're going to hate the other. And so he says, take the, the totality of your life. See, all of us have good points and all of us have bad points. That's our makeup. That's the tapestry. That's the fabric of our makeup. That's who we are. As, as a man, somebody sent me a text this week and said, Pastor, how are you? And I said, do you want the preacher version or the man version? I mean, the preacher version is like, yeah, fantastic, man. Well, you don't want to know what the man version was thinking. And before you judge me with your judgmental self, Understand that there's days some people don't want to talk to you. But that's who we are. We get up on the wrong side of the bed sometimes. We get up on the right side sometimes. But that's just who we are. So as a person, you've got to take the totality of who I am. And that's what God is saying. Why are you trying to hide something from me that I already know you are? You're trying to camouflage something, and I know it's there. So you just go ahead and bring that. Isn't it amazing that God said to the church in Hebrews that we should come boldly to the throne of grace? But how often do we feel boldly to come to the throne of grace? We are often come kind of seeking sympathy. And he says, no, you just bring yourself all of your idiosyncrasies, all your mess-ups, all your successes. You just bring the totality of who you are to me. And let me take care of it. And so that's what he's saying here in Romans chapter 12. 
He said, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants for you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to the levels of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Isn't that awesome? He's working on me. He's building me. He's maturing me. He's making me what I ought to be. And so from this, he begins to, to talk to the church of Rome about their gifts and he talks to them about having parts each one of you are part of the body as God has chosen the body to be and he says I like what he said in verse 5 he says a chopped off finger or a cut off toe wouldn't amount to much would it so since we find ourselves fashioned into all that excellently formed and marvelously functioned in parts in Christ's body. In other words, I'm part of something bigger than I am as an individual. And I think ultimately we all have to ask ourselves the question, am I satisfy, satisfied being a small part of something big or do I have to be the big in something small? I think that's, that's worthy of consideration. Am, do I have to be the big man on campus? Do I always have to get the credit? Do I always have to be the center of attention? Do I, do I, do I? Or am I satisfied just being a part of something that God is doing? I'm satisfied being part of something that God is doing. I want to be in something small, in something big that God is doing. How about you today? And then he begins to talk about you, you've got certain giftings and different things. And, and, and so I want to get down to verse number 9. And we're going to go through this very quickly, Brother Jeremy. I'm finished if you want to come. He closes verse 8 by saying, keep a smile on your face. Keep a smile on your face. One of the things I learned in sales training years ago, they taught us, said, when you answer a phone, put a smile in your voice. I thought it was good. Put a smile in your voice. Let people know you're smiling. And so here Paul says, keep a smile on your face. Verse 9, do we have this in the message, Brother Kyle? We don't have it. We need to get that this week, if you don't mind, so we can uh, have some of this up. But listen real closely. He said, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. And verse 11 is kind of the catalyst that I want to build on as I finish. The King James says, never lose your zeal. But here he says, don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled in a flame. Now, I'm not talking about, and I don't think he was talking about burnout in the sake of, man, I've been doing this for so long, I'm just tired of it. What he was saying is, don't let the flame go out. <laughs> how, how do you keep the flame alive? 
How do you keep a fire burning? Solomon said, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. So if, if you're going to have a fire, now most of us are thinking, God, I don't want a fire right now. I want some AC. But he said, don't let the fire go out. Keep, keep the, fly, the flame burning. Keep the fire burning. Put oil in your lamp. Don't let the lamp go out. Don't, don't burn out. Don't, don't go out. Don't, don't lose your light. Don't lose your ability to shine. But keep yourself fueled in a flame. Be alert, servants of the Master. Cheer expectantly. And I love this. This is verse 12. It says, don't quit in hard times. Look at your neighbor and say, don't quit in hard times. Come on, look at, look at your neighbor and say, don't quit in hard times. Things will get difficult, but don't quit. I don't have time to go into this, but, but there's, there's two things we talk about in life. We talk about stress. Anybody stressed out today? God bless your honesty. May the Holy Ghost help you. Stress. Stress is real. Stress is real. But you know where stress comes from? Stress comes from the inside. Stress comes from internal. Stress is pressure that we put on ourselves from the inside out. The other word is pressure. Do you know where pressure comes from? Pressure comes from the outside. Just thought I'd try to help somebody here. Paul said, we all feel pressure, but it's how you deal with pressure. And so he says here in verse 12 of, of chapter 12 of Romans, don't quit don't stop don't let the pressure becomes internalized so it becomes stress fight the good fight of faith anybody with me y'all ready to go fight the good fight of faith to lay hold on the hope of eternal life don't quit don't back up don't stop he that begun a good work in me is able to perform it against that day so he said, don't, don't quit, never quit. Pray all the harder. So when you feel like quitting, go to prayer. Help the needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies with no cursing under your breath. I like that. Laugh with your happy friends when you're happy and shed tears when they're down. Get along with each other, don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. How about a penny? Make friends with nobody. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone. If you got in it, Get along with everyone. Don't insist on getting evil. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. 
And our scriptures tell us that if you see the hungry, your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. If he's thirsty, give him a drink because your generosity will surprise him with goodness. And don't let evil get the best of you, but get the best of evil by doing good.